0: Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Hebrews again, Hebrews chapter 11, as we continue in this study of the book of Hebrews, even right on through this Advent season. As a matter of fact, I think it will be quite helpful during Advent to keep our eyes focused on what faith is. As we've talked about, this whole chapter, uh, chapter 11, is about faith. Uh, the first three verses that we looked at last Sunday, the writer talked to us about what faith is. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. He, he told us that it was by faith that the Old Testament, the men of old, the men of the Old Testament, the women of the Old Testament were approved by God, that they found favor with God and right standing before God. And he, he told us that, that it's, it's by faith that we understand creation that the worlds were made by his word. And so he gives us that introduction to what faith is, and now for the rest of the entire chapter, he's going to illustrate it by Old Testament saints. Uh, he may get a little laborious at times. As a matter of fact, sometimes you may look at that and say, well, I, uh, that's probably more about that Old Testament person that I knew and maybe more than I even wanted to know. But he's going to deal with some obscure characters, as well as some well-known characters. In order to show one thing and one thing alone, and like I say, some may consider it overkill the way he does it, but he wants to show in every situation that that person trusted God, believed God, and believed in God, and believed in God's promise of coming Messiah, and on the basis of that faith was made right with God. It was not by their works. It was not by their sacrifices. It was not by things that they did that God said, oh, then you're acceptable. But it was by faith that all these things came about. Now, Brother Scott read the uh, opening scripture or the scripture reading just a little bit ago, and he read out of Genesis chapter 4 talking about the episode with Cain and Abel, the two brothers of Adam and Eve, born after the fall. Born after Adam and Eve had been put out of the garden and when they were out there, they, they, were, they were born to this mother and father, and then they began little sibling rivalry over their offerings and their sacrifices to God. And we found out that Cain's sacrifice was not acceptable. Abel's sacrifice was acceptable. And because of that, Cain rose up and killed his brother all over a religious matter, all over a matter of faith, all over a matter of worshiping God. And as you read verse 4 of chapter 11 here, which is our text this morning, just one verse out of this, you, you may say, well, that's a strange way to look at Cain and Abel. That's a strange understanding. How in the world can this strange case of Cain and Abel teach us about faith? Because if you just read the text and, and don't understand some of the background of it that Scott read just a few minutes ago, you might say, that's strange Indeed. That's unusual that God didn't accept Cain's offering just as he did Abel's offering. They both came bringing out of their first fruits of what they did. Why was that not acceptable? But yet, the writer of Hebrews thinks it's so important that he opens up his illustrations with Abel. And this is what he says. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. There are three important things about Abel here that we need to understand. We need to understand what faith did in his life. We need to understand that by faith he worshipped God authentically there was authentic worship in Abel there was not in Cain another thing we need to understand is that by faith he was declared righteous reminds us of the verses we've looked at in in Romans chapter uh, 1 verses 16 and 17 when, when the, uh, Paul writes and, and quotes the, uh, the Hebrew prophet Habakkuk where Habakkuk said, the just shall live by faith. The just man, the just woman, shall live, shall walk, shall exist in this life by faith. The righteous one shall live by faith. I mean, the, the emphasis and the pointedness of that is all through Scripture. That it's not by your works that you are declared righteous. It's not by your your abilities that you are seen righteous in the eyes of God. But it's by faith that you are justified, by faith that you are declared righteous in the presence of God. So we see in Abel an authentic worship and an authentic righteousness. And then we see according to this verse, and you'd never known it by just reading Genesis chapter 4, that because of his faith there is an authentic witness an authentic witness that did not end with his death, but an authentic witness that continues on even to this day. Though he is dead, he still speaks. How in the world does that happen? That's what the writer of Hebrews wants you and me to understand is how that takes place even in our day. So it starts out with worship. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. Now, if you look back in Genesis chapter 4, and if you want to t- go back there and place your finger there and look with me a moment, I want you to see what's taking place here. Adam and Eve have been cast out of the garden because of their sin, because of the fall, and they have had relations, they have, become, they have come together as husband and wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. Later she conceived and gave birth to Abel. These two sons who were born of Adam and Eve. Now, it doesn't tell us a whole lot about what transpired when God put them out of the garden. It doesn't tell us a whole lot about what God required in worship. There's a lot to be read into this and a lot to be understood in this, I think, that is left out in the story itself. I think we can safely assume that when God sacrificed an animal to clothe Adam and Eve after their sin, after their fall when he killed an animal to cause take an animal skin and put clothing on them we could very easily understand that probably god in that time instructed them that it is this offering it is this sacrifice it is this blood shedding and this this animal sacrifice that is bringing about a covering for your sin. That is bringing about a forgiveness of your sin. And he taught them that it was by that, by animal sacrifice, by blood being shed, that sin could be dealt with. It would be absolutely unbelievable to think that Adam and Eve did not teach their sons that truth. That God prepared for us clothing after we sinned. They stood there before sin without clothing. They didn't need it. There was no problem with that. But after they After they sin, God clothed them by sacrifice in an animal. And worship always begins with an animal sacrifice. Worship always begins from the time of the garden until now with blood being shed. Now, we know that our sacrifice is an ultimate sacrifice, a complete sacrifice that was at Calvary on the cross when Christ died, which all these other animal sacrifices were pointing to and leading up to. But we understand that even our worship can only begin and can only be authentic and can only be real when we understand that our worship is on the basis of blood having been shed. Now, Cain brought grain. He brought the, 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 the fruit of his fields. He was a farmer. And so he brought grain. Later on, you'll find in the law that God gives provision for a grain offering. But a grain offering is always a secondary offering, even in the law. In the rituals of the Old Testament, the rituals of Judaism, an uh, uh, offering of vegetation, an offering uh, of grown fruit and, and, and vegetation is always a secondary offering. It has no meaning, has no purpose, has no emphasis without the blood offering coming first. There's the atonement. That comes only by blood. So, so it, there's nothing wrong with a sacrifice of grain. There's nothing wrong with a sacrifice from the field. But it must be followed by a blood sacrifice for sin to be dealt with and then for that offering to be given as a praise offering unto God. Abel came with his grain. Excuse me, Abel came with his animal from his husbandry. Cain came with his grain from the farm. And they both both offered that sacrifice, and the scripture says that God found Abel's sacrifice acceptable. He found it pleasing. He commended Abel for it, but Cain's sacrifice, he did not. Now, the scripture does not give a lot of indication about how God confirmed that, how God confirm that that was an acceptable sacrifice, but it is Christian tradition as well as Jewish tradition that what took place was that when the offerings were made, that fire fell from heaven and consumed Abel's offering, acceptable unto God, and that it did not fall and consume uh, Cain's offering. The, the vegetation offering that it just lay there and was was not approved by God because fire did not fall now that's not said here that's not told how it's approved it just says it was approved by God in the in the offering of it but the scriptures do record for us at least 5 instances where that's how God approved acceptable offerings fire fell from heaven now look at we won't look there now but later on look at Leviticus 9:23 or Judges 6.21, or Judges 13.19, or Elijah in 1 Kings 18.30 on Mount Carmel, or 2 Chronicles 7, one? All of those are instances where sacrifices are brought before God and laid before God on the altar, and, and the fire of God fell and consumed them to acknowledge their acceptance before God. That's how worship begins. It begins with the blood In our day, with the blood of Christ being sacrificed, in his day, symbolically, looking by faith to the blood that was yet to come. As a matter of fact, it's amazing that in, in the passage in Genesis, you find after, after the children are born, in verse 1, Eve said, after Cain was born, she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. A, a lot of people believe that that could easily be translated, I have gotten the man. I have gotten the man with the help of the Lord that the Lord has promised. It may very well be that Eve was thinking that the one that had been promised to them at the fall in the garden, the one who would bruise the head of Satan even though his heel would be bruised, that this was the Messiah. Uh, Eve had this anticipation that, okay, maybe I have the Messiah born right now immediately after the fall. We know that's not true. But, But some of her expression there, I've gotten the man, child. I've gotten the man with the help of the Lord, might have been anticipation, her believing God that the promise that he had made was going to be fulfilled. But in Abel's case, in offering his sacrifice, he worshiped God rightly because he believed that that was how God had instructed them to worship, through blood coming before him through a sacrifice that was acceptable. So the writer of Hebrews, looking at that, says, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. Better because it pleased God. Better because it was by faith. Cain's was evidently by works. Augustine, in his great uh, treatise on the city of man and the city of God, said that you know Cain was a, a person of the city of man, and Abel was a person of the city of God. Cain came by works, trying to please God in his own strength. Abel came as a city of God, a man of the city of God, came in order to offer sacrifices that God had approved, that God had commanded, in a way that God said do it, and he came and he offered it before God. And so we have here a, an example, Augustine said, of those two types of of worldviews, those two types of religion, the religion who tries to please God in their own strength and the religion that trusts God by faith and worships him as God had called us to do. See, in our day, we have a lot of people who are still trying to be like Cain. They're trying to worship in the as, as a citizen of the city of man. I will worship God in my way, how I want to, when I want to, and those who are of the city of God who says, I will come in God's way, in God's appointed time, and I will worship him as he has required. There's no freedom in worship to do it any way we want to. There's no freedom in worship to say, I'll do with God what I desire, and I'll approach God as I desire, but rather we are to approach him as he has commanded. And we cannot approach God apart from the shedding of blood and, and the shedding of blood that took place at Calvary. So Abel came by faith with authentic worship. Secondly, he came, the writer says, because of that authentic worship, because of by faith, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. Again, we have to look and see that righteousness is tied to faith. Righteousness is tied to belief in God, to trust in God. To trusting his word. Back in Genesis, it says that at the right time, basically, after giving birth, in verse 3, it says, And it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering of fruit, and Abel, on his part, also brought the first thing, firstlings of his flock and their fat portions. And in the course of time is a, is a phrase that means at the appointed time at the right time. Again, we don't have the understanding, we don't have the written text of what God told Adam and Eve. They didn't write it down of how they would do it. But there was a time of worship and there was a proper way of worship. And and we have to understand that that, that God has not abdicated us being righteous on the basis of faith and and he has not abdicated the worship being in his way at his time. And, And so... The writer of Hebrews says in verse 4, he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. Where did that testimony come from? That testimony came from God. God is the one who said, Abel is a righteous man because of his worship. Abel is a righteous man because of his sacrifice. Abel is a righteous man because of he came by faith. We still have struggles with that in our day, don't we? We think that righteousness must be as Paul dealt with it in, in, Ephesians, uh, in Philippians chapter 3. We, we feel like our, our faith has to be somehow, our righteousness has to be somehow on the basis of our works. And the Apostle Paul said, man, I was a works-oriented person. I I had all the religious heritage. I had all the religious accomplishments. I did everything just right according to the letter of the law, and yet I was doing it in my own self. I was trying to be self-righteous. My righteousness was brought up from within, and my righteousness was like dirty rags, like dung when I came to see Christ, when I came to believe him. When I put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ and him alone and found out it wasn't what I did, but it was what he did. My worship and my righteousness is based on him and what he has accomplished. So by faith, Abel worshipped authentically. By faith, he was declared righteous on the basis of that faith and the writer of Hebrews says that by faith he has an authentic testimony, an authentic witness. He didn't have a lot of opportunity for witnessing. Did you notice that? Once the sacrifices were made and once the offering was given and it was, and Cain was not acceptable to God, he became angry and he killed his brother. And you find there in that third, uh, fourth chapter of Genesis, well, where, just beyond where Scott read in verse... 9 and 10, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And, And God said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. I mean, the, the, the drama of that understanding when God says, listen, Abel's blood is crying out from the ground. Abel's testimony is crying out to me for justice. You have murdered your brother, and his very blood is screaming out a testimony against you. Cain showed no repentance. He showed no remorse. And God sent him out to wander and be a vagrant throughout the the, the land for the rest of his days. But the writer of Hebrews takes that even a step further. He says, Through faith he worshiped, through faith he was uh, declared righteous. And then in the last part he said, And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. A lot of people make that statement about men like Luther and Spurgeon and those great saints of four and 500 years ago, who wrote, or 150 years ago, up 250 years ago, who wrote great volumes. You can go back in my study and you can find about 65 volumes of Spurgeon's sermons. Uh, that were written out and printed, and, and you can pull one of those down, and you can, you can hear the voice of Spurgeon, you know, for uh, 150 years after he died. You can hear the voice of Spurgeon through reading his sermons. You can go to Luther's works, or hear his great uh, testimony at, at the Diet of Worms when he said, here I stand, I can do nothing else on the word of God. I mean, those are great testimonies written and recorded that we have where men who are dead still speak. But Abel wrote nothing. April had nothing to say for himself, but yet the writer of Hebrews says that through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. How can that be so? Well, he still speaks to us in the things that set him right with God. He still speaks to us of authentic worship, He still speaks to us by saying obey God, believe God, trust God in what he has said about worship, and come before him covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, trusting him as you lift up your voices and lift up your eyes toward heaven to praise him. Come in a manner that's worthy of the death that was given for you. Come in God's way. In God's time, at God's time, and worship him aright. He speaks to us of worship. He speaks to us of righteousness. You cannot be righteous by your works. You cannot be righteous by good deeds that you will do for other people. You can only be declared righteous by faith. Faith like Abel had, and faith like Abel is crying out about as he comes from the dead to speak to us with great volume about what it means to trust God, what it means to have faith, what it means to believe God. So what he's saying to us today is simply this, true faith spawns real worship. If you don't desire worship, if you don't enjoy worship, if you don't want to worship, then you don't have faith. Because true faith spawns authentic worship. He makes that clear. He makes it clear that we don't bring anything to God until we bring the blood of Christ, until we come with the blood of Christ. I love that great old hymn that says, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Too many of us want to come to God and say, God, here's what I've done. Here's what I am. Here's here's what I've accomplished for you. And that is nothing Luther said, The only thing we bring to Christ at our salvation is our sin. That's all we bring. Here's our sin, Lord. And and that's filthy. That's dirty. We have to come trusting the blood of Christ has covered that. It was a better sacrifice because it was offered joyously as God called him to do it. So, worship, we learn from Abel. Secondly, Abel's life is a witness that authentic faith produces authentic righteousness. Not a self-righteousness. Not a, not a look-at-me-righteousness. But a righteousness that comes by trusting him. And by being declared righteous and receiving his imputed righteousness, not righteousness of our own. And then third, Abel's life testifies that true faith leads to worship and righteousness and an authentic witness. An authentic witness that will even speak after our death. An authentic witness that will continue to point people to Christ because we lived it in this life. We lived it right here. There's the fame story of St. Francis of Assisi. Who uh, The story is one day he said to the monks, let's go out into the village and let's preach the gospel. And they went out and they just walked the streets and prayed and, and never really spoke a word to anyone else. And one of the monks drew him aside and said, uh, when are we going to preach? And he said, we've been doing it for hours. Just our very presence reflecting the righteousness of Christ has spoke volumes to people who would never hear our voices. Authentic worship, authentic righteousness is by faith and is lived out in an authentic witness of what the world needs to see today. Now, that doesn't mean you don't use words. That doesn't mean you don't speak the truth. You must speak the truth. But my friend, until they see the righteousness of Christ dwelling within us, until they see the righteousness of Christ as a part of our life, not our self-righteousness, but his righteousness, they will never hear. They will never hear because they will see it as hypocrisy and phoniness and not reality. Abel, by faith, Abel, Offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Will people say that about you? Will people say that even though he's dead, Even though she's dead, they still speak about the glory and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ because your faith was so real, so authentic, so genuine. Let's pray together. Father, it is by faith that we come before you this morning, trusting you, knowing that you alone have the sufficiency that you alone open the way by which we may live opening the way by which we may authentically worship and where we might have authentic righteousness. Father, we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit will bind our hearts together in worship, that your Holy Spirit will continue to work your righteousness in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.